Welcome to People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose is a podcast of inspiring people whose stories help you see things differently, live with intentionality, elevate the way you participate in the world, and take the necessary leaps in your life to seek and find your passions. Come with us and develop the courage to wholeheartedly pursue your purpose and unleash your truest potential. interpret what it was directly looking at and all of a sudden after one of these treatments her brain allowed her to process all the visual information that was coming in and she realized that she was seeing the whole pile of peppers for the first time in over two years and so she's standing there at Whole Foods with a couple of peppers in her hands and she just started crying Skepticism is just fear. Be curious and open-minded and discerning. By spending 45 to 60 minutes with people in a low overhead situation where I was really trying to provide a service for each individual, really created the framework for me to be a matrix repatterning therapist. The biggest challenge, and I think, the most important challenge is to find a way to really love. Dr. Andy Stella has been a chiropractor since 1988, focusing on various soft tissue therapies and motion chiropractic in his quest to help people heal. In 2003, he was introduced to a life and career changing new paradigm of hands-on bodywork called matrix repatterning therapy. He recognizes, finds, and more permanently treats tension patterns using two-handed gentle compression therapy. Dr. Andy's work has significantly reduced the symptoms of hundreds of people, oftentimes finding them as their last resort in concussion and bodily trauma. His commitment to excellence with this technique has led him to having the most training of all the practitioners besides the teachers of matrix repatterning therapy. And he's not done. Now he's sharing as a teacher also. You can visit integralchiro.com to learn more about matrix repatterning and read powerful stories from Dr. Andy's patients. And now the personal part for me. Getting into the different health modalities and meeting all the interesting people in these fields has opened me up to more holistic, natural, and inspiring paradigms. Each of these people and their specific paradigm has shaped my mindset and my growth potential. Dr. Andy's work specifically gets at the core of each of these. I've been seeing Dr. Andy since 2014. I originally came to him for trauma relief from my fall at Yosemite National Park in 2011. I was using the income from my corporate job to get a massage twice a month and it wasn't feeling sustainable. I was worried that this was my life, pain management. Being recommended to Andy by my massage therapist, Natalie, at Benissari Body Imbalance, totally opened my world as to what was possible. After just a handful of appointments, I noticed a tremendous reduction in the tension throughout my body and an increased sense of feeling integrated, whole, and coordinated. After I got my concussion in February of 2015, Andy was the first person I came to. He very quickly stabilized my neck tension, my headaches, and gave me an ability to relax that I was scared I may have lost forever. I was pretty much stuck lying down in a dark room to find physical peace, and Dr. Andy is the primary person I can thank for bringing me out of that. From over a dozen appointments with Andy, we have forged a personal relationship that I consider to be quite deep and meaningful. I see him as a mentor and a friend every bit as much as I see him as a doctor. He's the only doctor that I've seen for an hour, then spent an hour sharing a beer over happy hour at a cafe next to the Mississippi River. I really enjoyed having the chance to strike up an intimate conversation over very important topics in my life, asking someone that I see as a person of purpose, who's full of wisdom, life experience, and has an open mind that loves learning and loves sharing and is just naturally gifted at communicating. Listen closely, soak up Andy's words, and see how it applies to your life. Thank you. And please enjoy my interview with Dr. Andy Stella.
Hello, Andy. Hi, Tanner. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Had a great day. Cool. I'm very happy to meet with you. I just wanted to start off like thanking you for what you've done for me and my uh, journey so far. You've really helped me to progress in my own health and come back from concussions. And mm. I think the work you do is really wonderful. Excited to, to hear you've done that and some of the impacts you have on people. Well, great. Let's talk a little bit. Cool. Do you have um, a, a purpose or something that you live your life for? Yeah, you know, Tanner, I think um, is a very simple concept um, and it's called the golden rule. And so both in my life and in how I have decided to practice over the years is, is, to, is to try to give a service or just try to treat people in a way that I would want to be treated if I was on the other side. So to do that as a clinician, um, can be challenging in some ways because there's pressures to do it otherwise. Yeah. Um, but you have to stick with what you know uh, about who you are. The other, I think, is as I walk through the world and uh, interact with people, is just to make the world a better place. Just because I set foot wherever I set foot, whether that's interacting <clears throat> with a person on the street or, or. Um, you know, the lady that, that you just met at the front desk or, or anybody, much less my clients. Yeah. And the last piece is uh, in what I do is excellence. And that's to pursue excellence in what I do, because really that comes swings right back to the beginning and the golden rule. Pursuing excellence. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Mm -hmm. So um, what do you do for most of your work towards excellence today? I mean, how do I get? How do I get to that place of more excellence? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Tanner, I've been a chiropractor for twenty nine years, but I've been doing this very specialized form of work for the past fourteen. It's called matrix repatterning therapy. And in two thousand and three, the spring of two thousand and three, I I I I went for my first seminar up in Canada, and they're all in Canada, so I go back there for my training. And I recognized immediately when I got back to Minnesota the power of what this new therapy was bringing for people. I also recognized that I had a long way to go. And so, but because I recognized its power and I recognized I had a long way to go, I committed to as much training as I could do. And so <clears throat> I suspect, based on what I've seen over the past 14 years, that I've probably had more hours of training than just about anybody else except the teachers over the past 14 years because I went back as often as I could to update and learn and find that place where I'm comfortable with yeah. who I am as a practitioner and what I'm bringing to the table for people. So you've trained yourself into excellism within matrix repatterning work? Yeah, I've really committed to that because of the opportunity that it brings for my clients. Can, we, and, can you share some of that opportunity for your clients? Yeah, well, you know, you, you mentioned in the introduction a little bit about um, um, how you recovered from concussion. And so the biggest piece with this work is the beauty of watching um, people's brains come back with this very gentle, subtle therapy, very simple concept. And in a few treatments, you know, five or eight or nine or 10 treatments, we watch people that have chronic concussion symptoms um, really just come back and their, their, their eyes are back, their intellect is back. And it's really quite amazing. But beyond that, it, there's uh, pieces with people in chronic pain where nothing else is working anymore. And matrix repatterning therapy sort of describes the reason often as to why. It's, it's been a hidden reason, but to watch people who have been struggling and, and investing literally thousands of dollars a year, uh, and, and, and some more than that, to try to get out of their pain and dysfunction, and then through a series of matrix repatterning treatments, transform how they're living yeah. is phenomenally rewarding. And then to say goodbye to them, in a sense, as clients, yeah. you know, to say, okay, we're done. And now you're functioning at a higher level. The reward for me is incredible as a practitioner. Yeah. Yeah. Much I, less for them, which uh, they're very thankful for. I remember you telling me that uh, you're not going to be the guy showing up at their wedding 25 years later. That's right. Yeah. Because I used to. I was godparents to one of my uh, 
uh, patients' kids, you know, and then been to and invited to bar mitzvahs and 60th birthday parties and weddings because you get to be family with patients, some of them, as as a chiropractor. Yeah. And um, you know, you and I have gotten to that place mostly because of who you are as a person. You you really reach out to connect with people. Um, but in general, I don't have that anymore because I see people for a few months and the transformation you can give them in that time and then say, okay, now go live yeah. without me. Do you have, Wonderful. Do you have a story of uh, someone that came in a really rough place and a few months later is significantly better? Yeah. Oh, a thousand, a hundred, <laughs> two hundred. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, the concussion ones are, are, are just the best. Um, you know, uh, Tanner just recently, I, I had a tough concussion case that uh, has been coming down from Canada. And um, she had been suffering for um, over two years and nothing was helping. And anything she did try therapeutically made her worse. Mm. And this one was outside the box. We had to do a lot more treatments than I did with, uh, you know, 80, 90% of my concussion cases. But after uh, a certain treatment down the road, when we knew she was getting better, but she all st- things were still going rough, uh, her and her husband went to the supermarket, <clears throat> and um, and and they had always stopped there. They stayed in a hotel room when they came down to see me for this concussion treatment. And she started looking around, and she's saying to her husband, um, "Mark, did you see the the bicycle they just put up on the wall of the store?" That's really neat. Oh, and look over there. Their whole purpose statement is up on the wall. That, that's new. And then they came around the corner to the vegetables and she started picking up a couple of orange and red peppers. And she realized that she was seeing the whole pile of peppers for the first time in over two years. Wow. What was really happening, because she could see, she didn't have a vision problem, but her brain would only, only interpret what it was directly looking at. And all of a sudden, after one of these treatments, her brain allowed her to process all the visual information that was coming in. And so she's standing there at Whole Foods with a couple of peppers in her hands, and she just started crying. Wow. And then she immediately called her mom and dad back home in Canada, and they started crying. Because they were actually discouraging her from continuing to try to spend money on getting well when nothing else was helping, and they wanted her to just accept where she was at. Yeah. And now she's being transformed. So there's one case, but um, I could tell you a hundred more. <laughs> yeah. We can maybe get another mm-hmm. one or two out of you. Like, mm-hmm. So just tell us what, what is major street pattern? How does it work? Uh, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's really tough to, um, to explain with words and, and not pictures. So I'll, I'll, I'll paint a, a word picture for you. <laughs> I want you to think about a violin and a violin that's always going out of tune. And you take it to people that tune violins and they tune it and then it goes out of tune. So you take it to a different violin tuner and he has a different approach to tuning the violin and they tune it, but it goes back out of tune. So you try another one, another one, another one. And finally you go to someone that you thought was going to be a violin tuner, but it really is a violin repairer. And he or she looks at the violin and says, hey, the reason your violin keeps going out of tune is because there's tension in the frame. There's multiple tension points in the frame that have happened over time. Maybe it got dropped a whole bunch of times or it was in a car accident or whatever reason. Um, Now, what matrix repatterning does, instead of tuning the strings, which is analogous in the body, are the muscles, ligaments, tendons, joints, fascia, the soft and moving parts. That's tuning the strings. But the reason I had chiropractic patients for many years and became godparents to their children is because you had to repetitively tune the strings to keep them stable and well. And that's great because it's way better than ibuprofen and painkillers. And, um, you know, we see what's happening in this country with painkillers. But matrix repatterning therapy says there's tension in the wood and you have to get that tension out of the wood so that when you tune the strings, it can hold. Mm-hmm. It's a very simple concept. Now, what's the wood in your body? What's the framework of your body? Primarily the bones. Uh, also, the dense organs, the organs that are very dense, actually act as a place for the fascial body or connective tissue body to anchor into. So, through a lifetime of hard impacts, falls off bicycles, 
uh, falls out of the tree, slipping on the ice, football in, uh, impacts, car accidents, um, soccer collisions, you know, you name it, falling downstairs. We, we create this pattern of tension from the impacts that's literally within the structure of our body, the bones themselves and sometimes the dense organs. And when you get rid of that tension in the frame, the strings can hold. And that's what my patients say, and that's what their massage therapists say. And their chiropractors, once I'm done, they say, well, you don't have to come in that often anymore. And not only do they not have to come in that often, they feel better in between those less, much less often visits. You know, I had a 72-year-old lady who used to go to the chiropractor every three weeks in order to keep from falling apart. And after matrix repatterning now, she goes every three months just to maintain how well she's feeling. Hmm. Entirely different cut. She's very happy. Yeah. Yeah. So what? there, did I answer that question well? I think so. Okay, yeah. good. I've it's asked you numerous questions related to this. You always <laughs> have a new explanation. <laughs> blows my mind. <laughs> I love how outside of the box the solution is. It's, it's also incredibly simple. It's an entirely new paradigm. As a body worker chiropractor, there were always new techniques to learn. But they were all string tuning. Mm -hmm. They were all different versions. And so we would help people a little more, help few other people a little more. But as practitioners, we'd run into the same dead ends. Now, because I'm, uh, I have a video on the face of the homepage of the Matrix Repatterning uh, up in Canada, their website, I get calls from other chiropractors that are interested in this work. And that's what they say. That's why they're calling. Because they're tired after even some of these people have been in business for 25, 35 years and they're moving towards retirement. Mm -hmm. And they're saying, I'm just tired of having to do the same thing over and over with people. They're, yeah. they're bored and they feel out of integrity. Wow. I don't. <laughs> yeah, that's probably why you're so happy. You're yeah, I am. Yes. Thanks. Very cool. Yeah, I guess, can you talk about that mindset switch that happens in yourself and in people when you see uh, possibilities become more limitless? Hmm. Um, yeah. You know, I think, you know, one of the things about my work is that people uh, that have had chronic problems, they use a lot of negative terms. And, and so in my attempt to help retrain their brains that things can be different, when they say, this always hurts, I, or this never gets better, I always correct them and say, so far. But matrix repatterning is about possibility. So let's get rid of all the tension and let's find out how good you could be. And let's not try, let's try not to use those terms so much. So I wonder, Tanner, I think I've always had a very sort of possibility outlook on life. But I would have to wonder if seeing the, the changes that happen every day with people that weren't having changes before, I wonder if maybe that's effective. I've never thought about it until you asked this question if it's maybe affected me in how I look at things, because I tr really try, uh, I think it's more than try, I like to live my life expecting the best. Just expecting that the best is gonna happen. Yeah. And if it doesn't, um, we can handle that. And sometimes when it doesn't, it's really just a different road to the best anyway. Hmm. Yeah, that, that fits very much with your excellism sort of uh -huh. mindset. Yeah. Very cool. I hope so. Hmm. So, in your journey into matrix repatterning, how did you um, how did you apply that excellism mindset as you were progressing from high school to college and then into body working? How did you constantly kind of refine your path into where you have reached now. Reached now, yeah. You know, the, I think the biggest piece is is to always be open. And this works, so I'm a chiropractor, and in the chiropractic field, there's sort of a belief that you're supposed to have. Chiropractic works, just believe. Mm. Now, in the meantime, in the past 20, 30 years, there's been lots of evidence research evidence um, that shows why and how chiropractic works. But underlying the profession has always been this, you have to believe. 
And that was actually very limiting to me, that concept, to just believe. And so what I see, see, I know that because of the results that I get for the past 14 years, I've been doing this work for 14 years, especially the results in the past 10 years, um, uh, I know that I have been lucky enough to have come across a better way for the most part. But if I was so stuck in a belief system versus what's really going on, what's really happening, and how can we use that to help people? then I wouldn't be helping people the way I, I, I can now, mm-hmm. you know, and I see it around me and, you know, some of my compatriots in the field, uh, in the chiropractic field, yeah. you know, they don't necessarily want to hear about something new because they already know. And yeah. so for me, it was just uh, one of my favorite things, which is to just be curious, you know, and to ask questions and, and, and don't accept answers easily, not to be skeptical, because skepticism is just fear, mm. but to be curious and, um, and open-minded and discerning. Yeah. And I, that's why I think, as a chiropractor, I was able to move into matrix repatterning, because I'm curious. Yeah. Um, do you come from a culture of curiosity? And I... You know, yeah, you know, Tanner, uh, there's, I I have so many reasons to be thankful in my life. And one is my family. And recently, you know, you know, some of the discussions that have been going on on Facebook have uh, really divided up families. And I have family that um, is, um, we're across the board on the, I won't go too far in this, but in the political spectrum. And recently, we there was a little discussion going on. That was in between a few family members that they were the only ones that really joined in on this one. And one of my friends here in Minnesota was observing it and said, Andy, I love how your family can have civil intelligent discourse. Well, the reason that we can have civil and intelligent discourse is because I grew up around a dinner table with seven kids and two adults where we had we were encouraged to question things. We're encouraged to speak about taboo things, that you could talk about things and have discussion. And it was encouraged to disagree, to agree. And so um, a lot of that really came from my mom. And my dad certainly was along for that ride. But my mom was sort of the epicenter of that sort of discussion around the dinner table. But, but to, to, to be able to have discussion around the dinner table about things and to be able to agree, disagree, ask questions, yeah. that's a curiosity builder. That means you're allowed to be curious. You're allowed to say why, yeah. you know, and that's encouraged. And then you have to think about different answers. So, so for me, yeah, you know, I guess what formed me that way was, you know, my dinner table growing up. Very cool. Where'd and, you go? And breakfast and lunch tables too. <laughs> you had three yeah. meals a day. Yeah, cool. we did. We yeah, we did. I was very lucky to have three meals a day. Uh, New Jersey. Yeah, New, New Jersey. Jersey. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. What was it like in New Jersey compared to living in? Middle- well, Minnesota? you know, the town I grew up in was a suburb, and uh, you know our doors were unlocked. We grew up. It was a dozen miles west of Manhattan, New York City, and uh, but back then. You know, we went everywhere we wanted, walking or on our bikes, and uh, and just felt very safe. Nobody locked their doors or their cars. Very cool. Yeah, so it was fun. Little League and lots of people interacting, and it was a good place to grow up. It sounds very similar to where I grew up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. amazing, huh? That that actually where you in in Kansas and New Jersey, outside of New York City, could actually have a similar type of a heart about how you grew up, huh? Yeah. And people wouldn't think. But it probably was very similar. That's awesome. Yeah. I did not know yeah. that before. Mm-hmm. So yeah, let's talk about the heart. Uh, mm-hmm. I consider you a person of high emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, you seem to have acquired a lot of self-wisdom. How do you go about fine-tuning your heart to really know what to integrate into uh, the way you live your life or the decisions you make? or How to balance that against kind of logic and rationality and what other people may be telling you is best? 
How do you find your, your true place in your heart? Um, well, for, you know, the first one is kind of knowing who you are. I think if you know who, who you are and, and what you stand for, um, then you have to stay within those parameters. But then there's the piece of just learning to trust your gut. So I talked earlier about expecting the best. Yeah. You know, um, so when I expect the best, when the best comes along, or when less than the best comes along, you can kind of tell. I began a small home practice where I didn't take insurance and I gave people time. I was able to apply the golden rule instead of insurance companies' rules. I could apply the golden rule and charge a fair rate for what I could provide. And, and it was um, so listening um, to my heart versus my head mm-hmm. brought me to where I am now, which is um, very, very thankful. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So how is it to live outside of the healthcare system? What do you think you can offer people that's different than a standard doctor? <laughs> I can't tell you uh, how often or I, let's, how rarely I, I hear people that are happy with their experiences with their doctor um, and, and, and the pills and the surgery and, but the lack of time that they can give because we squished people into this insurance medical insurance system and chiropractors tried to squeeze in there too, and now it's squeezing them. They have to treat more people per hour because they get paid less and they get tons more paperwork. And as so we get insurance, and then because of it, we have access to more care, but our interactions have lost a lot of their value. And I felt that if I could create value, that I could work outside of that system. Yeah. But I had to create value for people. And I think I have. Yeah. Do you remember your first transformational experience uh, that really solidified your understanding that you can truly create value for people? Um, the second go around as being a doctor? Well, yeah. I, I guess so. It's not that big, though. But... What, what I did, a couple of things I did, I, I, I did a lot of odd jobs during that time while I was trying to figure this out because I had bills to pay. But I also set up a little massage table in my house. I had a room. <clears throat> I was an experienced muscle worker. I taught some classes at a massage school, anatomy and some other classes, and I was doing massage. And what was happening was people were paying me to come in, I'd do the body work, and they'd pay me. I didn't have to get in a fight with the lady at Blue Cross Blue Shield to get paid. I didn't have to. And, and, I, and I thought, if I could create a similar service with my chiropractic expertise too, where I, did more, I had more time to effectively figure things out and work on things with people, and charge a fair fee, then I could I could be a chiropractor again. So that all fit in that three month time frame I talked a little bit ago, approximately three months where I was searching, you know, what is next. The whole time frame by spending forty five to sixty minutes with people in a low overhead situation where I was really trying to provide a service for each individual. Yeah. And get paid a fair fee for it, you know, to make a living doing it. Um really created the framework for me to be a matrix repatterning therapist where I do treatments that are an hour long. I was, that came along and I was ready. So when I, you know, working like that, I had people that had tough chronic conditions. And so most of my practice were either people that knew me and trusted me or people that were referred. With the home practice, I didn't do any advertising, right? I didn't want any strangers coming into my house. So they had to know somebody that knew me or somebody that somebody knew me right there had to be a connection if they were going to come into my home for uh practice how did you make the leap from being a chiropractor to being the matrix repatterning yeah so i had these long appointments and at the time people coming in that had chronic difficult problems um 
or people that knew me, but a lot of them were people who had more chronic, difficult problems that were coming in to see me because I would spend more time, I would do more things because I had more time because I wasn't in that insurance system, I wasn't locked in. Well, seeing those kinds of patients was very challenging, which led me to um, sort of have a hunger for learning more. And I always had that hunger, but now that hunger met a different kind of a need, and that was the need uh, to kind of fill in that golden rule, mm-hmm. to not just do what I did, but to try to keep learning ways that I could help these people. So at the time, I was on a, I was learning a whole new technique that was coming out of the chiropractic soft tissue field. I was the first chiropractor, me and another guy, first one certified in that technique back in 2003. I was also trying to learn about the fascial body the connective tissue body and the function and anatomy of fascia. And I couldn't find any information. I was just trying to self-teach because I knew it would help me. Mm. Couldn't find any information. So I'm at a seminar in Chicago in the winter of 2003 for that other technique that I had just learned. And I asked a top instructor in the field. I said, I'm looking for information on fascial function and anatomy. Dr. Hammer, where can I find it? I can't find anything. And he said, you can't because there isn't any. Says it's all in the European languages. That's why you can't find anything. A couple of years later, some books came out in English, but and then he said, but there's this guy up in Canada that's doing this really neat work with three-dimensional fascial release, which is how Dr. Hammer misunderstood the work. Mm-hmm. Okay? We said it sounds like it's right up your alley. You should check it out. So I was hungry. It sound, I, my heart said, go. So I was up there a couple months later and it changed my life. So that's kind of the path of how I found what I'm doing. My heart said, go, spend the money. This is something you're supposed to do. I got up there. It wasn't what I thought it was. How could I have thought something that was an entirely new paradigm? I couldn't have thought that, right? And that's why Dr. Hammer misinterpreted it too. He kind of laid it on top of his own knowledge base and explained it mildly you know, correctly or incorrectly. I think I have trouble explaining it. Yeah, because it's, it's new. It's or because it's a different paradigm. Yeah. Very simple, but different. There's not anything else to lay it on. So there I was three months later. And, you know, like they say in uh, New Jersey, bada bing, bada boom. <laughs> <laughs> Had to get that in. Nice. <laughs> oh, that's cool. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, let's talk about, like, that hunger and thirst for learning. What do you do to seek out education outside of school and you know formal institutions how do you in your busy life pick up a book or reach out to a new source of wisdom yeah how do you, how do you continually educate yourself yeah uh you know uh tanner the last couple of years have been uh, not just um very busy in, at work but very uh kind of busy stressful in life and um the the the, the truth is I, I haven't done that like I normally do in the last few years. What I have done though, um, is I've made sure I've stayed up, up to uh, par and right on the cutting edge with the work that I do. I make sure I've done that. So in matrix repatterning, for instance, uh, Dr. Roth, the founder of the work up in Canada, expects us to come back every two years for a review seminar and update any new things. And I go back every um, I'm not waiting two. I'm not going to wait two years. Um, I go back every year. Um, now I'm doing some teaching with that also, so I'm going up there and helping out with the teaching. But in terms of um, in terms of really effectively in the past three years, really keeping myself up to par with other things, it's taken a back burner that I hope is over real soon. <laughs> yeah, I know you're very busy with your job. You're completely booked all the time. Yeah, overbooked. Yeah, and I'm trying to stop that to take care of my body better. But um, but there's been a lot going on, a lot of change in my life and a lot of different things in my life. And, you know, I got married recently and we just bought a condominium. I, you know, I moved three. This will be the fourth time in the past four years. Had to move so much movement in your life. Yeah, and so things are, so, you know, in this season, I've maybe put some things down like that. I've made sure I've stayed on the cutting edge of what I do. And um, that'll come back. I settle into my next 20-year home in another month, and I've managed my practice to where I'm not going to be overbooking like I was. 
and I'm and, I, and we're finally settling into that. <clears throat> it took me two years to get to that place, but we're we're I'm seeing that happen, and um, and I'm looking forward to uh, kind of reaching out now beyond what it is that I do, and learning. Uh, you know, I'm always reading. I mean that. You know, if I'm, I mean, but I don't. You're always reading too, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm always reading. I see stuff that interests me that's related to what I do or not related to what I do. I'm always reading, but in terms of real effective study, um, it's been a couple of years. Or intentional really, study. It, the intentional study. It's been more of making sure I stay on top of what I do. Very cool. And the intentional study is going to come back. Well, congratulations with all those changes. It sounds. It like was a lot. It was a lot. Headed towards yeah. a great place. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, back to the caregiver sort of philosophy mm-hmm. you talked about before. Mm-hmm. How do you balance that as you become successful in your work and people are seeking you out and you're seeing major changes in them? How do you uh, learn to say no to to giving all your time and energy to to others? And yeah. You know the work. Well, I I think the way I'm doing it now because I have said no to some people. Uh, lately, that I've asked for some things, you know, outside of my schedule, and I've just said no. Um, you know, I had a, I had a buddy that I used to always get in trouble with uh, his uh, wife <laughs> because he would stop to help out anybody. You know, he had the biggest heart in the whole world. It was awesome, <laughs> right? And and yet. His wife and kids would be like standing on the doorstep waiting for him him to pick them up because they had to be somewhere on time. And he'd be late for them. Yeah. Because he was given to somebody else, right? And I had to have a few talks with him because his wife came to me crying, you know. Um, um, and, And so I had to take that on. I tried to take that on better myself, which is whenever you say yes to some, not whenever, but watch for when you're saying yes to someone who you're also saying no to. Mm. And so, you know, when I was saying yes to coming in on Saturdays, even though I like stopped working Saturdays like 22 years ago, right? And now because I love my work so much and because I have these concussion cases and I want to help and I want to get them in, when I was saying yes to Saturdays to sell, come in, I was saying no to a Saturday morning walk with my now, you know, new wife. Um, so what are those sacred spaces or sacred times that you carve out for yourself? Yeah, well, um, you know, walks, walks in nature, you know, um, walks after dinner, um, music, just making sure there's time for music. Yeah, I know you go to the live music in the park, right? Music in the park. Um, I look for good jazz to listen to and get out. Theater, you know, things that fill me uh, like that. I just make sure that they're a regular part of my life. And then when we go too long or when I go too long without them, meaning a couple of weeks, I'm seeking something that I need. But there's always, there will always be walks. You know, just going for a walk in the summer, a bike ride, not in the winter, because that's crazy in Minnesota. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, what are the healthiest things that you do for yourself? Do you, do you think mm. maybe uniquely healthy? Well, you? you know, saying no um, is maybe one of the health healthiest things in the world that I think a lot of us can do. You know, is to learn how healthy uh, no can be especially for those of us that are kind of caretakers, mm-hmm. right? And I mean that in both the functional sense and the dysfunctional sense because there's two sides of the caretaker. So I had a, years ago, I was involved with a, um, a pretty neat um, a church here in town and the pastor had a lot of wisdom and he, one of the things he used to say was, you really don't have a yes unless you have a healthy no. Wow. Yeah, isn't that 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 simple and profound? Otherwise, you just say yes to everything, and what happens? You start to resent. I think that speaks to the intentional yes. Intentional yes, yes. that's right. So my yes is, you know, I think uh, the past few years, um, because my yeses to Saturdays were very um, intentional. 
you know, oh, this is a teenager with a concussion and he's going to, if I don't come in on Saturday, he's going to wait six weeks to get in to see me. I'm going to come in. It's the winter time. It's Saturday morning. I want to do it. I love what I do. But it got to the point where um, I was tired. And then I felt myself starting to resent that. So I had to say no. I had to put a boundary to take care of myself so that I could continue to take care of others in my best way. And that's what I'm doing, you know, saying, you know, I have to stay within my schedule. Good for you. Yeah, thanks. I know as a patient, you're very present with me. You're very personal. Oh, thanks. And you're doing this 10 times over in a day. It's incredible. Well, thanks. I love it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So for other people out there that maybe haven't devoted to a single path like you, you now have been in for a while, um, what do you think is one experience that everyone should put themselves through to find their truest self, to listen to their heart, and to learn to trust uh, their decisions moving forward? What's Mm, an experience? An experience? Huh. Bungee jumping. (laughs) No, not bungee. Not bungee jumping. Um, you know, Tanner, um, it's self-inspection, I guess. You know, uh, we live in a culture where, um, you know, we're taught, not all of us, I don't, I don't think you were taught this. I can tell you weren't taught this. Uh, to be careful, to not take too many risks. You should talk to my mom. I yeah. She would disagree with you. Well, yeah. <laughs> My nickname was Tornado Tanner growing up. Yeah. I was yes. in the ER often. Uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and well, that's probably the reason I have to see you. As well. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's why you're seeing me. <laughs> but but we're, we're, we're taught that. And, and, and we also are in a culture to be skeptical. You know, that skepticism is like, like people hold it like a badge. You know, like, oh, I'm skeptical. You know, so, <laughs> well, I'm sorry, you know. Um, <laughs> And, but to self-inspect, so a couple of years ago, more than a couple of years ago, 10 years ago, I started recognizing something in my clients. And I recognized that there was a lot of fear and worry in a lot of them. And the fear and worry, um, what, what it really was, was they were telling themselves that they cared. Right? And so they were worried about their kids, and they were worried about the president, and they were worried about everything. And, and fearful, too. And, and, I, and, I, and I kept hearing that pattern over and over and over again. And these are like really nice people and good people, right? But they were afraid of everything. They didn't even know they were, you know? And I looked at it in myself, right? So self-inspection, self-inspection. I was like, you know, I do that too. Why do I do that? Because if I stopped doing that, I would feel like I didn't care. Mm. Care. Verb. Care is a verb. You know what caring as a verb is? It's doing something, right? Caring as a verb is like, well, if I'm worried about my kids, maybe I'll, uh, you know, uh, my adult kids, maybe I'll make them a tray lasagna, or maybe I'll pray for them, or maybe I'll hold really good intentions to expect the best for them. That's care, you know, or fix the car for them, or take babysit. That's care. What worry I saw um, was sort of a form of narcissism. Mm. Doing it for me. Doing it to make myself feel like I care. Wow. Because if I didn't worry, I would feel like I was not caring. So glad I saw it in my clients. I was so glad I saw it in them because I saw it in me. And because I, was, uh, cause I think self-inspection and self-awareness and self-inspection is sort of a sweet spot of life. It's where we grow. Otherwise, we'd never grow. We'd become Popeye. You know, you know what Popeye said? I am who I am, right? We become Popeye. And, um, and I don't want to become, I don't want to be the I am who I am guy. I mean, I got to be comfortable with myself, but I also have to be able to self-inspect and grow and become a better Andy. Yeah. You know, and and that's one place that I did. I used self inspection, and so when I find fear um, wants to take me, I realize well, that's a waste of energy because most of it isn't going to happen anyway. 
you know, I, I had a day a couple of years ago where I had a car that might need a $2,500 repair. I didn't have any money. I was separated, supporting two households. I didn't have any extra money. My sister the same day was going into the hospital to get a giant tumor removed that they highly suspected was cancerous. So at the same time, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving the car dealer. I knew my sister was going into surgery and I'm going, oh my God, if I have any extra money, I'm going to need it to go visit my sister. I don't know how much longer my sister is going to live and this is going to cost $2,500. And oh my God, this is going to be terrible. Where am I going to get, how am I going to do what? And then I said, wait a minute. I stopped and I said, wait a minute, you know, because I, I wanted to, I said, this could all work out for the best. Why am I worrying? Everything could be better. This could all work out for the best. And well, guess what happened? By the time I got done with my second client that morning, I checked my voicemail. My sister, my treatment's an hour long, so it took a little while. My sister's tumor was benign. And the guy from the car dealership said, yeah, we need to replace that engine and it's under warranty and you're not gonna have to pay a thing. So I was turning in that car in a month and now it had a new engine. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and well, if I would have had to pay for that and turn it in, it would have been financially very difficult. They both worked out for the best. Fear. Look at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what is your relationship to fear? Well, I think, you know, I, I think it's, um, I think I like to, uh, when, I, when, I look, when I feel it, when I look at it, uh, I like to inspect it, you know? So it still comes, but now I have an awareness instead of just sort of living it, like, mm -hmm. oh, there's the fear, I'm afraid of this, this is gonna happen, this is gonna happen, and I always go, well, you know, maybe it won't. Maybe, and when I hear it from other people, this is what's gonna happen, you know, the economy's gonna collapse. You got eight months and the economy gonna collapse, and they're like, well, maybe it won't. Most of the time, it doesn't, you know? People's fears, because everybody wants to be right, too. You know about their fear and um but maybe it won't yeah maybe the best thing will happen that's cool that's yeah. very very optimistic mm -hmm. you certainly made me embrace that idea with my uh, my own body and my own brain good um, i'm gonna significantly better place because of it yeah yeah well great that's wonderful to hear i had no idea that that, that you were absorbing that or that i was even giving it off that's cool. No, you have definitely a zen-like quality to you. It's very, very neat. I guess one final question is, what do you see as our duty as humans towards one another, as a social being? What, 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 what is our duty towards? Mm. Yeah. You know, uh, eight or nine years ago, when I was um, still sort of living in a religious life. But it wasn't a religious life, it was a spiritual life. But one that, you know, maybe many Americans would sort of recognize. I got stuck, uh, I got stuck um, over and over and over reading the first couple of paragraphs in the Gospel of John. I, just, I read it so many times and I, and I couldn't get past, like, I think it was two paragraphs, like for two months. I wasn't picking it up every day, but a lot. And, and uh, you know, I, can't, I, I, can't, I don't quote anything perfectly because memorizing things is not my strength. I like to understand. I want to understand. Same. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and it was um, Jesus saying, I am the light of all people. All things are made through me. I'm the light of all people. All things. I'm the light of the world. And I'm the light of all people. And all things are made through me. At the same time, I was reading a book. It was by an MIT physicist who was also a Jewish um, Old Testament scholar. And he was, he was talking about how... <clears throat> um, how things aren't all that we... All that they appeared to be in terms of um, what the Bible was teaching us, and to dig a little deeper, and he showed that through physics, and it was a fascinating little intersection of stuff. And I realized that light—we are really made of light, right? So we're made. Ultimately, when you break it down, 
all matter is light waves underneath the atoms. And God was saying, I am the light of all people. How many times should I say all to get my point across? And so right now, in this crazy time that we're living in, the biggest challenge, and I think the most important challenge, is to find a way to really love. So what actionable step are you going to take next? Do you have a lingering question or something you want help working through? Do you need support in doing what it's going to take to live your purpose? People of Purpose is here for you. Subscribe to the podcast and soak in the stories and words of our wonderful guests. Do you have any friends that might enjoy this episode or the podcast? Bring them on board as a podcast subscriber. If you want to actually see the guests behind the voices, as well as the purposeful people and communities I'm a part of around the world, Follow the podcasting journey on Instagram at People of Purpose Podcast. You can connect with our purpose-seeking community on Facebook at People of Purpose by liking and following our page. Know the minute each new episode is published, hear first about upcoming People of Purpose opportunities, and receive regular tidbits of inspiration and media I'm purposely perusing, pursuing, and pondering. It's simply a regular dose of goodness, intentionally filtered by me, to nourish your personal path of purpose. For the ultimate engagement, Join our intentional group, Purpose Seekers, from the Facebook page. Join in longer form discussions, link up with accountability partners, and share in opportunities and challenges to better know and grow in your purpose. Send me a direct message on either Facebook or Instagram if you want to talk privately and receive personalized guidance on how to raise your sales and write your ship. Come forth with your biggest dreams and aspirations, and I will do my best to connect you with the necessary resources and mentors from my network to start your trek along your personal path of purpose. Cheers, and here's to becoming 